Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Cadney. Today, my guest is Dwayne Smith, Manager of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. We're going to dig into why leaders need to start with themselves first, how we can become more inclusive leaders, and it's time to level up with Dwayne's passion for video games. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. How you doing? I'm doing good, Tim. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, Dwayne, as you know, the intention of the show is to get to know you better and also share some insight into tips and tricks and becoming a solid leader. So I guess the first thing that we want to know is who are you? So why don't you tell us a bit about your good life story? Who am I? My good life story. It started back in 2003. Uh, I started off and uh, working as a motivator in Richmond Hill, which was a really good experience. And it was a a very um, big paradigm shift for me because I came from an industry working in the hospital previously uh, where social activities wasn't really the thing. You know, socializing wasn't necessary. Being an eMERGE orderly, I didn't really have to talk and communicate as much as I did when I became a motivator. So that really opened me up and being a natural introverted first person, it was uh, a very interesting experience for me, but I was determined to uh, allow that extroverted side of me to develop. And um, it definitely has over the years. And went from there, went to sales, uh, did that for about a half a year. And then I moved into the uh, general manager role and uh, did that for about four and a half years. Uh, and then I think 2008, I moved into my divisional manager role and, and stayed within that role for uh, up until now, up until moving into the uh, DEI position. So it's it's been a really, really fun 18 years, but not as long as I feel like the time may perceive it to be. It actually, I don't know, I, I guess when you're in good life, you're just constantly capping all the time. So time just keeps to be, seems to be moving so quickly. So <laughs> I kind of feel like, you know, time is just fast forwarded over the last 18 years. And here we are. I didn't know you worked in a hospital. You were an orderly in the emergency ward. Yeah, that's, uh, it was my experience, just literally taking people from the emergency ward and bringing them to obstetrics or bringing them to you know, the maternity ward or bringing them to OR, day surgery, things like that. So it was just, you know, a really good experience. There's a lot of, there were some days where there was more downtime than others, but, you know, the hospital for me was just not um, a place that I wanted to be in all the time. It was something that uh, it was taking a toll on me. And I think because of that extroverted side wanting to come out, uh, it didn't really get a chance to come out in that role. And I think I was just looking to have more of an impact and more of an influence and nothing in the industry, in the health industry, in, in terms of like uh, the hospital uh, was really ap- appealing to me. I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be a registered nurse. I knew I wasn't going to be uh, a- anything else really in, inside inside of there. So I really wanted to to get out and explore and do something different and new. It, it must have been eye-opening for you working in a hospital then transitioning to a fitness company. I mean, Good Life is in the healthcare industry being a gym. So what insight did you take from working in a hospital and then transfer that to your roles with Good Life? Yeah, you, you know, it's it's really interesting because it it's still the same because it's the health industry. The only difference is I consider fitness to be health preventative where, you know, when you're in the hospital, it's kind of like that last line of defense. It's where you need to go when you're ailing or there's some sort of issues for the most part that you need to take care of yourself for. But, you know, and, and I saw emergency, right? So all I saw was people coming in when they were at that, you know, physical or mental breaking point and they needed somebody to take care of them right away. And, you know, I'm not saying fitness 
derails all of those things from happening, but you know, it, it still increases the likelihood that you'll go through less pain, that you'll go through less accidents where balance comes into play or imbalance came into play and, and you end up hurting yourself. So, you know, for me, being in an industry where it was about caring for people was the the thing that tethered me to good life because I really loved the culture and it was still talking about taking care of people. It was one of the core values, caring and making sure that we do the things that we needed to do to help people become the best version of themselves. And that has always been, I think for myself, my life calling. I like to do that in my personal life. I like to do that in my professional life. It's, you know, I really love helping and being there for people. Like that's just something that's so important to me and and the company and, and being with Good Life has given me the ability to do that. So let's talk a little bit about leadership. There's one of the rules that we talk about in leadership and it starts with you. And there's this great quote by John C. Maxwell says, remain a credible leader. I must always work first, hardest and longest on changing myself. This is neither easy nor natural, but is it essential? So why is it important that leaders start with ourselves first? Because you you have to be able to create boundaries. And I love John C. Maxwell, by the way. Um, He's a big architect of my own leadership development over the last several years, but you have to begin with boundaries and those boundaries have to start with yourself. If, if you don't take care of yourself first, you, you can't take care of others. It's essentially that saying, you know, you can't give on to others what you do not already possess yourself. So if you don't possess the boundaries and the ability to take care of yourself, then I, I you know, you're not going to really be effective for other people. You know, it's that same sort of analogy that they use when you're on an airplane and when you hit turbulence or too much turbulence and the air masks come down, they always say, put it on yourself first before you take care of others that are around you. And that, I think, is there's something to be said about that. How helpful are you if you don't have energy? How helpful are you if you can't think straight because of that lack of energy? How helpful are you if you're, you're constantly struggling with things in your life that you need to take care of before you can take care of other people? And I think having boundaries is important and leadership is about ultimately is about helping others. And and I think that's why, you know, a lot of the times I try to use the word leadership when talking about managers, et cetera, because I think that's where a lot of people start to blend and mix management and leadership. I'm solely against it. I, I think being a manager and being a leader is two different things. As we know, managers manage systems and leaders lead people. Managers are about the head and leaders are about the heart. I think you have to create boundaries for yourself because we're talking about emotions and emotions are are fleeting and they change every moment essentially and they change based on actions and reactions. So if you don't have boundaries and you're not really focused on yourself and building that mental strength and building up your mental boundaries, then you're going to be susceptible to that wider spectrum of range of emotions that will impede your leadership and your ability to manage people and systems, which is going to be detrimental to your own success. And if it's detrimental to your success, it's going to be detrimental to you as a person and in your mind and in your heart. And you'll be going home every day or be at home every day wondering what you did wrong. Could you have done better? You know, trying to uh, make up the mistakes and the challenges that you have. So you got to work on yourself first and do not, I would say leadership is a three-part process. It's lead yourself first. If you could lead yourself really, really, really well, then you can move on to aspiring to lead other people. And once you aspire to lead other people in terms of being a leader without a title, not having the position of a manager role to be a leader, being a leader amongst your group, think of yourself as a captain on a team. 
are you the owner? Are you the coach? Are you the general manager? No, but you are the person when the team is playing that everybody's looking towards to help them get better. And then once you graduate from that, you can be a coach, you can be a manager, and you can say, now I'm able to pass on what I've learned due to my track record and due to the fact that the people around me hoisted me up to this position versus me using them to host myself up to that position. Yeah, I really like what you said about the three steps to leadership. We do have to start with ourselves first, but just having done that doesn't mean we're ready to lead. The first step you said to aspire to lead people, I mean, you have to want it. That aspiration will be the path to looking at your team and asking, how can I make an impact on them? Yeah, you, you have to because it's it's like cooking a meal for people. You know, if you if you cook a meal and you're starving, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to start eating out of the stove right there before you even serve <laughs> the food to anybody else, right? You gotta you gotta feed yourself first, so you put yourself in a position where you can comfortably feed other people. You know. So interesting point about you know you talked about emotions and and setting those boundaries, and I and I think it's a fine line for leaders. Because, you know, we talk about leading with passion, leading with caring. And then especially when we use that word passion, it's it's very fueled with emotion. So how would you suggest one puts those boundaries to not become an emotional leader, not to let the emotions get in the way of, of how they effectively lead another person? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you have to have a high level of self-awareness. And this is where uh, emotional intelligence comes into play. You got to be self-aware. You have to know your triggers. You have to absolutely know your triggers. You have to know your limitations. You have to have a lot of self-dialogue also. I'm big on self-dialogue. I can't tell you the amount of times I talk to myself. If people were actually see me in my car, they actually think I'm probably listening to music and singing along with the words. But no, I am having a full-on conversation with myself. Um, I, I even do these conversations at night sometimes. I wonder, who am I talking to? <laughs> I roll over in my bed, nobody's there. And I'm like, who am I talking to right now? But, you know, that introspection is so important because you have to dissect yourself. And I think it's it's very difficult for people to look at themselves it's almost like looking at yourself naked in a mirror. You know, you, you know you do it, but you know you're going to critique the heck out of yourself. You know, you're, <laughs> you're like you're going to pick yourself apart. It actually becomes uncomfortable. You know, so you know I always say the way we treat our bodies is the way we should treat our minds, and vice versa. So if you exercise your body, which you know we all do or hopefully most of us do, you, you got to exercise your mind. And that means understanding what your limitations are. It's no different than sitting down on a bench press and, you know, knowing how much you can bench, knowing what your, what your max is. Um, and guess what? If you have a spotter there, you can actually exceed your mass because you have that safety. So I say that other thing about understanding your boundaries is asking other people for support. You know, let me know when you feel as though um, something seems unusual with me because if people can identify changes in your mood, your personality, if you have people that you trust, that you work alongside with, that could give you some critical feedback, that will help because then you can go back to that moment and say, okay, what triggered me? You know, what do I need to do to resist moving into that emotional state? And, and actually think too, I think a lot of part of the boundaries you need to create is, if I could simplify it this way, is you got to be in the present. And being in the present is understanding your emotions, but then understanding that your emotions are translated to you by your logic. So it's your, it's your, your intellectual brain that essentially articulates your emotion, whether you're yelling, whether you're screaming, whether you're crying, all of that stuff. It's, it's your logical side of your brain that's allowing you to exhibit that emotion. Now, sometimes we exhibit emotion without being logical, right? It just overrides 
uh, our logic. And that's when, you know, we, we, we may get ourselves out of control or we regret later on what we said and things like that. And that's why you got to be in the present. You got to say to yourself, okay, what is this emotional feeling that I have right now? What is the, you know, the chemicals in my body doing? Why is my blood pressure rising right now? Or why am I feeling down? Why am I not feeling good? What's happened? What have I thought about? Or what has happened to me? Uh, Or what have I done that has made me feel that way? So that's the first part you need to do because, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, when you live in the past, you're depressed. When you live in the future, you're anxious. But when you live in the present, you're at peace. And to be at peace is going to enable you to have more of a clear, vivid view of what is happening to you right now or what are the things you're doing. And you'll be able to articulate that in a way where you understand it and you'll start to discover what those trigger points are. And it's either you take a concerted effort to understand what those things are or you let it happen naturally. And unfortunately, life's lessons take a lot longer to accumulate into an actual outcome. Whereas if you put that work in right now, you could get to that understanding a lot sooner. So true. And yeah, I really like what you talked about being present because I think that is, is such a key component to handling our reactions because, you know, we have two reactions as humans, right? It's fight or flight. And mm-hmm. if we're constantly thinking about what that reaction is going to be, we could really miss what is actually going on in this transaction. And I think it comes down to that ability to be a good, strong, active listener of like, I'm not going to react. I'm going to continue listening in this moment to gain all the facts. And then it also gives you that chance just to kind of calm things down a little bit. You know, I do have to comment on the mirror. I, I want to let you know that I have removed mirrors from all, like all mirrors in my house are gone until the end of the pandemic. It wasn't going well. So I agree with you about that. <laughs> it wasn't going well at all. You, you sure uh, that's not a narcissistic uh, response? There? I don't, you know what? I, I'm, I'm okay to see myself later. I, the conversations were getting dark. <laughs> You're taking too long to get to one room to another. You always had to stop and look and be like, oh, I look good. You again. <laughs> So, you know, let's uh, let's talk about character when it comes down to leadership. So what do you feel are the top characteristics a leader should have? Oh, man, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, it's a great question that you asked. And, you know, I'm sure if you ask this question to 10 different people, you'll get 10 different responses. And mm-hmm. I hope you didn't ask anybody else this question, Tim, because <laughs> anybody who listens to the series of these podcasts is going to be like, OK, listen, what the heck are the top? Like, I've heard a bunch of them. What are the top? So. I'm going to tell you, if you heard other people say what the top threes are or whatever they are, here are the real top threes. Forget what you heard from anybody (laughs) else. So just totally joking there. But I would say humility, inclusion, and vision. And I'm saying humility because as a leader, you have to have that servant leadership mentality, meaning that you have to be able to take criticism. You know, as you echoed John C. Maxwell, one of the first things I learned from him in uh, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership is that a leader forfeits the right to think about themselves. And unfortunately, when you're in a lot of managers in organizations that are in leadership roles, put the management position and their performance and their expectations ahead of their teams. And then it becomes this autocratic type leadership. It's, you know, and, and I don't blame people for having that mentality, because if you look at it, Tim, in media, the most dominant style of leadership that they portray in media and in, especially in movies is autocratic, yeah. right? You watch, you watch any Sylvester Stallone movie or you watch any sports movie or you watch any sort of uh, law and order type movie in terms of like the military or, or police, you know, agencies or even businesses. You know, Wall Street is one of my favorite. You know, I love Michael Douglas. But 
they're all they the stars in those roles that have leadership positions are always autocratic it's do this do that and he, you know here's what's going to make you successful and here's what i want you to do now and they see how they end up being you know uh, the successful protagonist at the end of the movie and that's where we kind of shape it i don't know how many times you've watched like you know uh, maybe blue bloods on television or some other cop show and he said man if i ever talked to my staff like that you know I, I, i'd be in uh, some real big hot water and i think you know, that's the first thing we have to understand that leadership isn't about that. It's about, you know, I need to I need to touch your heart before I'm able to touch your head. So I want to know who you are. What can I do for you? I'm in the position to help facilitate your success. And whether you love me or you hate me or whatever the case is, it's like, I know that I'm going to help you be successful and hopefully we could get you there. So you got to have that humility. And understand not everything is going to be perfect as a leader and not everybody's going to love you as well. Uh, I think the goal is just to be consistently you. And then I would say inclusion. Um, we're in a, in a time right now where you know our workforce is, is growing and changing rapidly. And as leaders, we, we have to have the ability to be inclusive, to make sure that we're giving equal time or should I say equitable time to everyone that we that that's, that's in our charge. Uh, and understand that we're not going to communicate with everybody the same way. So that's on us to have and impose that inclusionary effort. Because if, if I don't communicate to you, Tim, in the same way I communicate to someone else, then you may look at that as, as me not liking you as much or me not giving you as much opportunity. Uh, or you'll just translate it that way. Even if it's not my intention, all that matters is your view of how I'm, how I'm treating you in comparison to other people. So being inclusionary is important because people want to know that you know you you treat everybody the same and when i was a divisional manager i made it a, a part of my my visits to walk to the pt office to walk to the group fitness studio to hang out at the front desk just to talk to the members i always wanted to make sure that i spent time with everybody in the club and not just you know a certain silo and then i'd say the last part is vision you absolutely have to have vision you could have all the great leadership abilities in the world uh, but people will only follow you based on what you say for so long, because if you keep saying something and people aren't moving and they're not succeeding, they're going to start to wonder, wait a second, you talk a good game, but I'm not progressing and I don't feel like I'm getting in any more engaged because what you say to somebody in the beginning is always going to be music to their ears. You know, I could look at a new team, Tim, and say, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. I'm going to help every single one of you develop. I'm going to help every single one of you be the most successful person you can be. And guess what? Everybody's going to be sitting in their chairs, just sitting on the edge of their chairs, just so excited, you know, that, that Dwayne's coming in and he's inspiring them so much. But guess what happens after a week and a, and a second week and a third week and a fourth week? If I'm still with that same energy, but yet actionable, items aren't happening and people aren't moving at some point it's like it's almost like tim being in a relationship somebody telling you they love you all the time you know they they love you it's like okay great they love you and it's like oh you love hearing that but then you start looking back and you're like well they're not doing anything for me they don't really love me you know they they're just not showing me through physical action so at some point the words don't even matter anymore. You want those actions to follow suit, you know? So that's the important thing. It's like having vision is is so crucial. You got to have vision. People need to know where, they, where to go. And then you have to action that vision as well. So give people that picture, paint that, that road, but make sure that you are progressing in that direction as well. That's so true. And it, you, you, yeah, your team will just sit there, look at you and say, okay, that sounds great, but how? Show me how. Yeah. 
Exactly. Number two, so inclusion. And I know this is a, a big one for leadership and we're, we're working towards becoming more inclusive leaders. First, let's talk a little bit about your, your move into the DEI roles. You're the manager of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Good Life Fitness. So let's talk about that change. So what was the decision to make the move into this new and very important role? Well, Tim, I, I manifested it one night and I said, I will become this position and woke up one morning and it was here, right? So no, it wasn't <laughs> like that at all. Not at all. I wish life was that easy where you could just manifest whatever you wanted to be. I'm, I delete every single meme I see on Instagram that says manifest what you want. I'm like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. But, um, but I get it. It's about having that mindset where you're focused and fixated on something. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, it was something that I was never, uh, going for, uh, in terms of like, this is kind of the next evolution for me. I've been in operation so long in, in the company. That's all I really kind of, you know, kept my eyes on. But I think for myself, without the title of diversity, equity, inclusion, and without the influence of, of having an impact on change in, in those areas, I think as my, myself, as just the person in the company, I've always had that headspace. Because myself being a black man in the company and, and you know, moving up, you know, I, I, I definitely was aware that I was different than a lot of my colleagues in terms of my identity and being black. But it didn't stop me. You know, it didn't stop me in terms of being the person that I am and the person that I can be. And it never would have stopped me. But I did, you know, have time at some points to kind of step back and say, you know, are things happening because of what are my opportunities in comparison to? And those things did come up. And I, and I did notice, you know, through my own experience, some inequities and, and, and things like that. And I won't get into those details there. It's for another conversation. But, you know, it was something that I was always keenly aware of. But for, for me, for some reason, I don't, I don't know if you watch uh, Dragon Ball Z, but I'm like a, I'm like a Saiyan. It's like, you know, anytime you beat me, I come back stronger. And, you know, for me, I always looked at those things as a challenge to come back stronger every single time. And I can never give myself that headspace to quit. And lo and behold, you know, when the whole shutdown happened during the pandemic and, uh, you know, the George Floyd murder was was huge. And then uh, Good Life at the time was facing a lot of questions regarding the, the, the leadership team and, you know, the, the lack of diversity. Uh, and then at this point, as as well with a lot of companies, they they started to adopt that diversity, equity, and inclusion mentality in that department and program because it became a necessity. And I think companies understand that it is important because there's a lot of systemic issues that don't just reside in society, but we have to understand people are a part of society as much as they are part of companies. So therefore, those systemic issues do not just fall off their 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 backs once they walk through the door of of our company. They're still there. And, you know, there, a lot of it is unconscious and a lot of it is unintentional, um, but it's still hurtful. And, you know, when I was presented with this opportunity to apply for it, I just went in just guns a blazing. I just needed to make sure that, you know, I was going to get this role because I, I knew I had so much personal experience in this area. And I knew uh, a lot of the qualifications of being this sort of manager, especially in terms of the inclusionary aspect of it. I always believed in giving everybody the opportunity. And that's something that I hung my head on as a, as a divisional manager. And it's something that I wanted to cast a wider net on in, in the company. It's, it's just been a blessing. I'm telling you, it's like, this is the first time. And, and I've told Michelle uh, and Melanie, whom I work with closely, that, you know, this to me is not even like a job anymore. It's not even 
you know, a position. It's like, it's a passion. I, I wake up every single day and I feel like I'm, I'm living my passion. It's so meaningful for me. And just seeing people and hearing people and talking to people, no matter what their scenarios are, good is good or bad. You know, if it's good, I want it to maintain and I want it to be better. And if it's bad, I want to improve that. Uh, And I have a great team working alongside me to, to make that happen. And we're committed to it. And I can't tell you how much my heart is full doing this position right now. You talked a little bit about being an inclusive leader by having consistent conversations. So the conversation you have with one associate would be the same conversation you have with another in the same realm of what that conversation would be about. What other steps would you say are needed to become more of an inclusive leader? I think you have to do work on your own. You have to be interested to develop yourself, um, whether it's TED Talks, watching things on the LGBTQ community, whether it's, uh, you know, going on trips when we're allowed to go on trips to to different places and different societies that are unfamiliar to you. You know, that's always, you know, if you hear a lot about people who backpacked uh, across, you know, Europe or Asia, and, and they tend to be the most worldly accepting people when they come back home. And not to say they're not like that prior to going, but when they come back, you could just, you could just tell there's something about them where they just connect with all types of people because they've been exposed to a society and to customs and to a culture that isn't familiar to them, but they're able to connect with it in a way uh, that is uh, just very natural. And you have to put in the work, whether, you know, take a course, you know, take an indigenous course, you know, do a seminar, webinar, things like that, just to understand that more. But I think the most important thing is build relationships with people who are different from you so you can understand them a little bit more and do it in a respectful way. It's not like you're asking them to be your professor in life, but you're, you're, you're saying, I want to connect with this person. I want to hang out with this person. I want to get to know this person because you know, we talk about uh, creating interest uh, similarities, and it's about identifying the similarities we have with people that we assume are different by the way they look or their background, their ethnicity, their religion, or whatever. Really, Tim, we all want the same thing. We all want to live. We all want to be loved. Uh, most of us, you know, uh, whether it's we want to extend our own family or we just want the love from our family, we want to be felt to be wanted. Like these are just basic physiological needs that are at the base of, of Maslow's hierarchy that we all aspire to. So if we all have that shared interest right off the bat, how can we not connect with seven, eight billion people on the planet if we had the chance to? So fun fact about you is you are big on video games <laughs> and, uh, and and I think video games is, is a part of like all of us and in some way, shape or form. And I know there's like history in video games, the games that are fond of. So I want to I find out what, like, what's like that oldest video game that is like just nostalgia to you. Like what's one of your favorite old school video games? Oh my goodness. We are going back. Like I want to go way back. I, I just figured, and people are going <laughs> to, people are going to Google this, but I don't know if you remember the Tandy 1000. It Tandy was 1000. Tandy 1000. It was this monochrome computer <laughs> that I think it was about 1200 bucks back in the days, but it was like back in like the mid eighties. It was my first computer. It had a, a dual floppy disk drive. Now, floppy disk. I want people who are listening <laughs> to ask themselves, have they ever touched or seen a floppy disk? So uh, I was trying to think about a giveaway that I could give to somebody if they could send me the first person to send me a picture of them holding a floppy disk, um, you know, gets a gets a gift from me. So we'll, we'll leave that ominous as far as what the <laughs> gift is. But nonetheless, I remember playing this game on there and I fell in love with it. It was called Space Quest and it became a series. 
And uh, they had a series of them in different uh, versions. They had King Quest and, and Police Quest. And what they were, essentially, they're role-playing games where you would play a character and it was almost like a choose-your-own-adventure where you had to kind of type in the commands of what the person needed to do, where they needed to go, what they were saying to different people. And it was essentially you're uncovering clues to get to the end of the, the quest, et cetera. And I just fell in love with it. And I fell in love with it. And the funny thing is, because I love psychology so much, I never realized at the time that it was playing and feeding into my psychology, my psychological needs of being able to understand people's situations and things to the point where you dissect it, because it was such a very intellectual type of video game. And fast forward to now, I'm, you know, I'm a, I, I went from Nintendo and I was diehard Nintendo and Mario Kart. I was super big on Mario. Nobody could tell me my friend had PlayStation and I was like, forget PlayStation. I'm playing Mario. And I was playing <laughs> Mario World. I, oh, I used to love it. The, oh, the mushrooms, the coins, the bricks. Loved it all. <laughs> and um, and then I and then I, I finally moved on to PS, uh, PS, uh, PS PlayStation. Uh, but PS2 was my first one, and then I kind of fell in love. And, and I still play the role-playing games. Obviously, the graphics are a lot better than than uh, my Tandy 1000, but um, but I still play those role-playing games. I, I love, you know, the, the execution, uh, like around Batman. I love the Batman Asylum games. I'm, I'm playing that right now, um, you know, for uh, just button-smashing purposes. I'm, I'm playing uh, Spider-Man. So, you know, <laughs> these, these are the games I love. These are the games I love. But you know what? An interesting fact within this interesting fact, so it's kind of like Inception right now, <laughs> I cannot play first-person shooters. Really? That is my kryptonite. That is my, I cannot play first person shooters. It's just, it gives me a nauseating feeling. And I just, I, and I know they're so popular, but when my friend were like, oh, we're going to play Call of Duty, I'm like, oh, I can't join you. So I'm, I'm not in those online groups because a lot of them are first person shooters and I, ju- I just can't, I get sick. Yeah. First off, like I commend you for, for coming on the podcast and throwing down floppy disks. It's, it's, <laughs> it's tough enough for us to explain to people what CDs are <laughs> like, like, and you're going, you're going back to, <laughs> to floppy disks. Um, but you know, I, and, I, and I think we have to put it out there to those that are playing video games now to all the luxuries that you have. Like, I remember one of my big games and, I, and I've been searching endlessly for because I'd love to play it again was Rygar. And it was mm. on the old school Nintendo. And Rygar was a game where you didn't have save points. You had to finish that level. You got to oh, that last yeah. boss and you you messed up. You went right back to the beginning. Yep, yep. And, I, and I think that the golden age of video games is what we call the broken controller age of video games. Like that's yep. where you really are smashing controllers. So, but you know what was you know what was even worse than that, Tim is is the arcades because <laughs> I, I, I know they don't really exist as much anymore. You may find them at Wonderland still, but yeah, um, or, or Dave and Buster's. But it was the bit see. At least you were able to go back to that beginning of that uh, that scene when when we didn't have save points. But when you were in an arcade, you were using your hard earned cash. <laughs> it was like when you lost your last man, your last player was gone. It was like game over, and you only had ten seconds to put in the quarter. So you were there just frantically looking in your pockets for that quarter. And if you did not beat that ten second to put in your quarter, it started the beginning <laughs> of the game. It was like you're a new player. Your score was gone. So. That was very, very <laughs> stressful. <laughs> so uh, my last question for you is, what advice would you have for a new associate at Good Life? Be yourself. Just be yourself. I think um, being your authentic self is is the most important thing that you could do because it's painstakingly difficult to try to be somebody else every single day. 
and, and not allow your true self to come out. So whoever you are by your thoughts, by your identities, by your experience, by your spirit, by your religion, by your life, you know, just be yourself because the more you're able to be yourself, the more you're able to really walk through life feeling no fear as, or uh, uh, minimizing that fear and, and just being very comfortable with who you are. And I think that's what I want everybody to aspire to be is just comfortable with who you are and everything else will fall into place. Dwayne, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't thank you enough for sharing so many amazing insights on how to be a strong leader, more inclusive leader. And also it's been so great to get to know you more. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. This was amazing. And um, I'm definitely going to go look for Ragar now. I got to, uh, I didn't play that one. I got to go look at that game now. So thank yeah, you for that, Tim. No worries. And, uh, and a reminder to all the listeners, uh, Dwayne.Smith at goodlifefitness.com. Send your pictures of floppy disks and you may have a prize coming your way. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's a very ominous prize. So um, it could be as little as a pencil or it could be as big as a car. Who knows? You know what? You know what? Anything's an upgrade from a floppy <laughs> disk. I think they'll take it. That's it. it w- I will <laughs> promise you this. It'll be more valuable than a floppy disk. But that's at the 1980 exchange. <laughs> that's great. That's our show for this week. Thank you again to our guest, Dwayne Smith. The Good Life Podcast 30 Minutes With is produced by Rochelle Lowry, and our intro-outro song is by Ketza. We also want to quickly promote the upcoming Women Who Influence and CanFit Pro Conference happening August 12th to 14th online. If you haven't registered, now is the time. Next week, my guest is COO of CanFit Pro, Maureen Hagen, and she will give you even more reasons why you need to be there. The link to register is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and well. 